What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this is what happened last week with a man named John, an Austrian He's an Australian Jewish man, and John was like Jacob. He was like Jacob. He was strong in himself. He was strong in his own strength. John survived the Holocaust in Europe. And John, in his own strength, he came to America with nothing. And John, in his own strength, he worked hard, and and he graduated from Harvard. And in his own strength, he did all this in his own strength. And then he rose to the heights of intellectual elite. He was a writer. He became an accomplished writer. And he wrote award-winning books like uh, Why Nations Go to War and From Holocaust to Harvard. And Henry Kissinger writes on his book here, John's deeply personal account of his journey from Nazi-occupied Austria to the heights of American intellectual establishment is thought-provoking and heart-wrenching. So all of John's life, he has been resistant to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's choosing to believe myths about the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe that the Nazis and Hitler were Christians. He chose that. Because John says, I don't need God, because John was strong in himself. And if God tried to impose his will on John, John stubbornly resisted God. He fought with God. He's just like, he was just like Jacob. He came to his own. He came in, and when God said to him, okay, now, here's my will. He said, no, he fights. But there was a time. There was the Peniel moment, like it was for Jacob in Genesis 32, when John, with all of his strength, was gone now, just like Jacob. He's in a state of weakness. He's in a hospital bed on the brink of going into hospice. And as John is told by someone in this room right now, that God is Jehovah Jesus, and that Jehovah Jesus came to earth and took on flesh and died for John's sins, then John 
The fighter with God suddenly becomes a clinger to God. And John asks the simple question, what can I do? What can I do? And when John was told, you can accept the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can, he's inviting you to receive him as God and Savior. And then John's asked the question, do you want to do that, John? And John nods and says, yes. And John the fighter becomes John the clinger to God as he received the Lord Jesus Christ. The loser, John the loser, became John the winner. Before John, he, he fought with God. He fought with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lost that battle. And in his weakened state there in the hospital bed, he used all his strength just to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. He became an Israel. He became, God says, okay, now I can call you Israel. He became the winner. That was the fight with to the cling to change that happened to John. And, and that's what happened to Jacob in Genesis 32. That was where Jacob, with the, he changed from the fight with God to the cling to God. That was a great change. A fighter with God and the, was just Jacob. That was his name. Just, oh, you're just Jacob. You're fighting with God, you're Jacob. Oh, Jacob, now you're clinging to God, you're Israel. You're Israel. And so John's book now, you know, From Holocaust to Harvard, it's got to be rewritten. Yeah. From Holocaust to Harvard to hospice to heaven. <laughs> Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. When Jacob was Jacob, and that's a funny thing to say, when Jacob was Jacob, you know, it's always Jacob. All right. When Jacob was Jacob, when he was the fighter with God, he taught his sons, by his examples, you fight with God. You go your own way. You sing Frank Sinatra's song. I did it my way. You go in your own strength. Who needs God to rule your life? But when Jacob was an old man, then Jacob became Israel, the clinger to God. And he taught his son Joseph, by his example, the son of his old age, you be a clinger to God. You be an Israel clinger to God. And when Jacob looked at his other sons, that he taught them, and how he taught them to be, he says, oh, I see Jacob the fighter with God. But when he looked at Joseph and how he taught him in his life, he said, oh, I see Israel the clinger to God. And so that's why verse 3 is so significant in Genesis 30, 37, 3, where it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. It doesn't say Jacob. It says Israel loved him. And we could restate it like this. Now Israel, the clinger to God, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. So Joseph was the son of Jacob as an old man. And that was when he was crowned with the, with the name Israel. And so Joseph would hear Jacob say to him, he, he'd say to him, son, the most important activity you can do in life is to know God and cling to him. Don't let him go. And after he was, he was you just hear him saying to Joseph, Joseph, after I became a clinger to God, I saw God. And I saw God, and I actually named this place because I saw God. I call this place Peniel, which means face of God, because I saw God face to face. When I saw God face to face, I got life. My life was preserved, as he said in Genesis 32, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I had seen God face to face. And my life was preserved. That's why Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. 
And then Jacob, he chose this special way that he was going to show his love for Joseph more than all his children. I mean, can't you just picture Jacob sitting there? He's planning this out in his mind, and he's saying to himself, I love Joseph so much. I mean, how can I make a statement to everybody how much I love Joseph and all my other children? I mean, what's the best way for me to show my personal special love for Joseph? I know, a coat. A coat? Not just any coat. Oh, no. (laughs) Special coat. Rich coat. Luxurious coat. Rich materials. Many colors. And and it'll be a coat I make myself. I'm going to make this coat. I'm going to go out there and select those materials that I'm going to use. I'm going to meticulously cut each piece of those materials. I'm going to sew every piece of those materials. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful coat. You know, and as we think of Jacob here, thinking this thing through and planning this coat and imagining it, you know, then we can see in our imagination Jacob making the coat. And we see all this meaning behind verse 3. He made him a coat of many colors. I mean, this is the way Jacob shows his special love for Joseph. Jacob shows his special love for Joseph by making this special coat for Joseph. You know, a normal coat, it's a piece of cloth. You got a hole cut out in the top. That's where the head goes. Gets sewed up the sides. There you go. That's your coat. Next. <laughs> okay. But, and that was a normal coat. That was a normal coat. And no sleeves. What do you need sleeves for? They're just getting one way. You're supposed to work hard. You know, down to the ankles, you'll trip on it. You know, that's, uh, that's your coat. Okay. But the Hebrew words that are used here to describe Joseph's coat indicates that this coat had sleeves down to the wrists. This coat had, went down to the ankles. This was some coat. All handmade for Joseph with the loving care of his father, Jacob. I mean, what a scene uh, of that, you know. And, uh, you know, is it, Joe. Joe over there standing over there? That's Joe. You know? Not Joseph. I call him Joe. Anyway, not so you don't get confused. Anyway, so Joe, you know, what if I saw that, like I do tonight, you need a coat. <laughs> that shirt's too loud. You need a coat. No. What if I, <laughs> what if I saw and say to Joe, hey, Joe, you need a coat. You know what I did for you, Joe? I went down to the Burlington Coat Factory, <laughs> and I said, Joe, here's a coat I bought for you, you know? And Joe says, did you make it? No, the label says that someone in Pakistan made it, you know? <laughs> okay. But if I set up a table in the front of the Creation Museum, and I spend my time making that coat for Joe, and everyone could see me making the coat, it means so much more to Joe, because it was personally made by Joe. You know, what's the most famous scene that we have in the Bible of a father making coats for his children? What? That's it. It's God, the father, making coats for Adam and Eve. Hey, in Genesis 3.21, unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Oh, what words are those? Whoa. Now, how can we possibly imagine something like that? You know, in Genesis 3.21, the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? you imagine that when Adam gets that coat? Man, Adam can, say, Adam can stand up and say, Can it be that thou, my God, should make a coat for me? <laughs> <All right? laughs> can you imagine the angels looking 
and saying to themselves, you know, they're saying something like, you know, First John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love God hath bestowed upon man, that he himself should make coats for men and clothe them. See, so when we read that God made coats for his children, you know, it causes us to come into this question of Psalm 8, Psalm 8, verse 3. It's this question, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what's man? What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, these words like thou art mindful, thou visitest him. What's so striking us is to consider this personal involvement. You know, wasn't somebody in Pakistan to make the coat? You know, if I made the coat, and it was God who made the coat, that's how God loves. He loves with a personal involvement. And what strikes us so much in Genesis 33 is this word he, he, Jacob, he made him a coat of many colors. It was Jacob loving Joseph with this personal involvement. And can't you imagine Joseph, he's wearing that coat after he makes it, and he's stroking with it. He's not impressed with the beauty, but Dad made this coat for me. It's nice. Dad made this coat for me. And what a scene of Joseph stroking the coat and saying, Dad made this coat especially for me. With all Dad has to do to run this big household here, I'm just one of his 12 sons. Why should Dad care and love me so specially? Why should he make this coat for me? And what a scene, you know, Adam and Eve and, and stroking their coats of skins and saying, God made this coat especially for us. He made this coat especially for me. With all God has to do in keeping his great creation operating, why should God care? Why should God care if, if we needed coats to cover the shame of our nakedness, as he said? I mean, why should God make the coats himself? Why didn't he have somebody in Pakistan or an angel make the coats for us? Why should God clothe us? Why should he sit there and say, now stand still while I put this coat on? And as we look at Joseph, we look at Adam and Eve, you know, and asking those questions, it brings us to ask some questions about ourselves. Why should Jehovah Jesus care that you and I have sinned? Why should he care? Why should he care that we are in need of an atonement covering for our sins, an atonement coat, something to cover our sins? Why should he care? Why should, you know, we're coming up, reminder, Next Sunday is going to be Rosh Hashanah, the New Year. Then following will be Yom Kippur. The word means day of covering. You could call it a day of coat. The day of covering. Why should Jehovah Jesus care? Why should Jehovah Jesus himself come to earth, be so abused, suffer so much, die this horrible, shameful death on the cross, be buried and rise again just to become our coat? just to become our atonement that we needed for our sins. But Jehovah Jesus did. And all that is brought to mind when we read what Jacob did for Joseph, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when Joseph wore that coat, oh, man, it just spoke of his choice. God chose me. You know, and that was so wonderful. And when we read about Jacob making a coat of many colors for Joseph, you know, you can't read something like that without, without thinking about the Lord Jesus. You know, the Lord Jesus wore a coat. He wore a coat that showed 
The Father has chosen me. The Father has preserved me. The Father loves me. You know what that quote was? It was his miracles. When he did those miracles, people said, whoa, he's special. You know, and this happened in Matthew 12, 13, where it says, where, where there's this man, he's got a withered hand. Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. He stretches it forth. It's restored whole like the other. Then the Pharisees went out. They held a council again and how they, against him, how they might destroy him. When his brothers, when Joseph's brothers saw how much Jacob loved him, they hated him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from death. Great multitudes followed him. And then it says that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Look at him there with that coat of doing those miracles. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. There stands the Lord Jesus, just like Joseph. And there stood a man with a withered hand. A man with a withered hand. And there stood the Pharisees, just like Joseph's brothers. And he heals them. He's wearing the coat. He's wearing the coat. And God says, that's a fulfillment. I chose him. I'm so happy with them. Now, you read about all this. We read about all this. The coat that Jacob made for Joseph with the many colors. You think about God making the coats for Adam and Eve. And God made a coat for us. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's a, God looks us over, and he sees the need we have for clothing. This is a clothing for our souls. And he says, like he says to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.17, he says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How could there be such a disconnect? How could, how could God says you're naked? And how could they be like the emperors with his new clothes, which were no clothes? How could that be possible? But then God says, you don't know, but I know. You don't see, but I see. You're naked. I counsel thee to buy of gold and be tried in the fire that mayest be rich. White raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be thou therefore repent. So he looks at them. God looks at them. And he says, look, 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 you think you're well clothed? You're naked. I see you as naked. You know, I see the shame of your nakedness. I see how much you really do need clothing. You need a clothing. So I, I counsel you, come to me. I give you white raiment, white. You'll be clothed. Shame of your nakedness is not going to appear. What's the clothing that we need? What's he talking about, the clothing? What clothing? This is soul clothing, soul clothing. You know, 1 Peter 3, it speaks about that. Who's adorning, speaking, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, clothing, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in, in the which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of, of great price. Oh, that's really nice. God sees we need clothing. What kind of clothing? We need a clothing of a meek and quiet spirit. What's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of a meek and quiet spirit? It's an in-your-face. That's, that's the opposite. In-your-face, loud, proud, boasting spirit. So the first clothing that God says we need, he says you need a clothing of a meek and a quiet spirit. And then he speaks of another 
clothing. It speaks of another clothing in 1 Peter 5 5. 1 Peter 5 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So what's God say? He says, you need the clothing of humility. See, right after the, the need for the clothing of humility, we're told that now you have responsibility. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. You know what it speaks about being clothed with humility? And then it says, humble yourselves. That means that we have to put that clothing on. God's, we have to put it on. Humble yourself. You know, you know, we think about humility. Some people think that humility has something to do with how I think of myself. Some people think that humility has something to do with how you think of yourself, how we think of ourselves. Some people think that humility is thinking less and less and lower and lower of ourselves. Some people think that, right? But thinking less of ourselves is still thinking about ourselves. That's self-consciousness. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking less about ourselves. That's what humility is. Humility is being less self-conscious. Humility is being more God-conscious. Humility is thinking less about ourselves and thinking more about God. And so, and, but we, we don't do that. We're naturally not like, we, we naturally don't, we don't like to put on that clothing of humility. We like to think of ourselves. We don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I want to wear humility today. I want to humble myself. I want to think less about myself. I want to think more about God. That's not what we do. And so God says, well, you need a little assistance. You need a little help in this department. You got to want to humble yourself. So God comes in with his assistance to help us. So that we put on the right clothing, the humility. Uh, he has ways. He has a mighty hand. He can bring that down. That helps. And God does this only because he loves us. He loves us and he wants us to wear good clothing. He wants us to look good. You know, just like the man. Think of this scene. The man who turns to his wife in the morning before he leaves home and says, How do I look? <laughs> he thinks he looks great. Knowest thou not? <laughs> that thou art rich. No. He thinks he looks really great, and he comes to his wife, and he says, how do I look in these clothes? How do I look? Tell me honestly. He thinks you're the scene of the husband coming to his wife in the morning before he leaves home, and he and asks her, how do I look in these clothes? Now, I just want you to freeze that scene. Freeze that scene in your minds, because that's what we should do every morning in our morning devotions. That's why morning devotions are so important, because it's before you go out. And that's why morning devotion times are so important, because it's that picture of the husband asking his wife how he looks that we need to repeat in asking the Lord every morning, every morning in our devotion time. We should say to the Lord, how's my soul look this morning? How do I look? How do I look before I go out today? How do I look today? And God, in his great love, he's going to be honest. And he's going to tell us how we really look with the soul clothing we're wearing. And if we, and if we don't do that, you know, we don't even ask our wives, you know, we don't do that. Then, you know, in our devotion time, God, like our wives, gets this, will get this pained look on his face and say, you're not really going to go out wearing that today, are you? <laughs> I mean, you know, 
I am married to you, you kind of reflect on me, you know? You're not going to do that, are you? You're not going to go out looking like that, are you? Please tell me you're not. <laughs> Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.